Thank you, Morgan. All right, Matthew chapter 22 today. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. We're going to start right there. If you um, have your Bible, turn right to that first book of what we call the New Testament, Matthew. And we're going to begin there in chapter 22. 22 verse 1 today. Again, I'm excited about Saturday. We're looking forward to that. Um, you will determine whether or not it's a, uh, uh, a success or not. It takes a, a group effort. It's not going to be one person or a handful. It's going to have to take a team effort. And so we're asking you to be a part of it. And I know we're going to have a great time. We have a good time Saturday as we pass those out around our community. It will also include some advertisement about our tent meeting coming up. And we're hoping to get some folks to come in and visit there at the tent meeting. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to see some people get saved under that tent. And obviously that would be the goal. We want people to know Christ. And we want Christians to grow. Church the way it used to be. And again, this year we're going to kind of change the theme a little bit. And it's going to be still church. Still church. And we're going to each night have something a little special at our tent meeting. But uh, anyway, we're looking forward to our pass out uh, this coming Saturday. 930 here at the church. Matthew chapter 22 beginning in verse 1. Let's go ahead and start right there. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come into the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, and another to his merchandise. The remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. When the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This particular parable, the Bible States is concerning the kingdom of heaven. It has to do with the kingdom of heaven. It's a literal, visible kingdom. Those in Christ, those that receive the Lord Jesus as their Savior, are in the kingdom of God. A spiritual kingdom. In the book of Matthew, there are 33 times that this phrase is used. And it is only used in the book of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven. And what we learn is that simply it is a visible, physical kingdom. There are times that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven co-jointly exist. One day in the millennium when Jesus Christ comes to rule and reign, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God will be combined. It's a very confusing 
And it's very, sometimes can be very confusing to distinguish. But if you fail to distinguish or make the distinction, you could be led to believe somehow that a man or a woman saved in this dispensation under grace could possibly be lost in the end. It's the kingdom of heaven that's being addressed here. And it is not the bride that's being cast out, but a man. So today, before I even get started, I want you to understand that this passage in no way supports the fact that people can be saved and lose it. It doesn't do that. It has nothing at all to do with that. It is not even the setting. This is dealing with Israel, and it's dealing with their future. However, because every passage has a doctrinal application, a historical application, and also an inspirational application, I want to draw from that latter one. I want to make an application today, an inspirational application. I don't want to focus on the prophetical or doctrinal And I really don't want to focus so much even on the historical, but I do want to draw an application today from this passage. Because there is a man in this passage that goes to a wedding feast. And while he is there, he is spied out and ultimately dismissed. And I want us to learn from that because the Bible says that the king saw this man. And I want you to understand today that the king is on the throne. And the king is watching. So I want to learn a couple of things from the passage and draw from it today that I believe can be a blessing and a help to us. So I'm going to share three truths. And then I'm going to ask you two questions. And I trust before we leave, we'll settle a few things in our heart if we haven't already. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for just the opportunity that we have to gather today. We thank you, Father, for the blessed book, the Word of God, that instructs us and inspires us. But, Lord, today we need your Spirit to come alongside. We need your Spirit to drive home these truths. Father, in my own life, I need to be filled with your Spirit that, Father, you would be glorified in the midst of this crowd. Father, stand in my shoes Allow me to be your mouthpiece. May men and women, boys and girls, not simply see a man, but may they see you, the master. Lord, may you anoint every listening ear that they may hear with spiritual ears. Will God change our hearts and our lives? May our outlook be more in tune with thee and your purpose for our lives. Bless us in these next moments. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we have a situation here, a parable that the Lord Jesus Christ shared. Again, it's dealing directly with Israel and their future. However, I want to make an application, as I mentioned. First of all, I want to see what we can learn. Three simple truths. Number one, you can never hide from God. You can never hide from God. We have the king in the passage, and there's a man. And may I say that men and women and, and, and all people that are created are really the same. We're all flesh, and we're all in the same boat. There's one creator, and the rest are the creation. And 
In this passage, we have a king and a man. And in this case, the man slips on into the wedding feast. But during the course of the conversation and the activity, the king notices. He spies him out. He recognizes that this man is not dressed properly. He is not prepared as he should have prepared. And now he takes notice of him. We think of Adam and Eve over there in the Garden of Eden, over there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And the Bible says, And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Of course, following his transgression after he had sinned against God, after he had willfully disobeyed the command of God, he seeks to hide himself from the presence of God. And may I say today that there's not a person on earth that can hide from God. No one can hide from God. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, the Bible tells us, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God's eyes are everywhere, beholding the evil and the good. He sees you and he sees me. There's no man, there's no woman, there's no boy or girl that can hide from the all-seeing eyes of God. It just can't happen. You can never hide from God. Number two, not only do we learn that we can never hide from God, but you can never fool God. You can't fool Him. Again, in our passage, He's very aware of what's going on. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can't fool God. Well, I'm living for the Lord. Really, He knows the truth. But I go to church. God knows your heart. But I'm teaching Sunday school and I'm helping on the bus routes or I'm singing in the choir. Yeah, God knows your real heart, though. God sees a man and He looks past the exterior and He sees into the very depths of His being. He knows what a man and a woman's thinking and he knows who and what they really are. See, it's not what we do that's so important to God. It's what we are. It's being, not doing, that matters the most to God. And too often we think somehow, if I only do the right things, I can somehow get by. I'm going to tell you, God's not as concerned about what you're doing as what you really are inside. Being. That's what holds water with God and with weight with God. He says in the book of Proverbs chapter 4 verse 26, Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Why? Just a chapter later we read in chapter 5 verse 21, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Not only does he see us, but he ponders he knows, he, he, he recollects, he understands, he truly sees us for who and what we are. If God only saw what we did, then we could fool God. But he ponders our past, he sees within us. He knows the motive for what you do and why you do it. 
He knows why you came to church today. The real reason. He knows why you sing in the choir. The real reason. He knows why you went out soul winning or why you helped on the bus routes or why you work in the nursery or why you involve yourself in a funeral and help with the food. He knows your real intentions. You can never hide from God. You can never fool God. But you know what? You can, you can never get over on God. You can never get over on God. I can't imagine what this man was thinking, but if he was dressed differently than all the rest, i got to believe somehow he was a little aware of it. It was, it was cognitive. He knew in his mind that he wasn't looking like the rest. He probably tried to hide himself a little bit. He probably tried to find a make his way over to where the crowds were to blend in. He probably tried to find his way even into the middle of a crowd so that no one else could see him. I mean, but the king was there and the king was overlooking the crowd. He couldn't help but see him. You can't get over on God. It doesn't matter what you try to do. It doesn't matter where you try to go. It doesn't matter who you're with. It doesn't matter. You don't get over on God. I think about Saul and the Amalekites. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, turn there if you would please. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 2. The Bible tells us over there in 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in verse 2. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. He's speaking now. He's going to give a a command. He's going to instruct the king. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Verse 3. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. The direction or the command was extremely simple. You take Amalek and you totally and completely annihilate it and wipe it out. Everyone, everything, gone. You say, boy, that is ruthless, that is heartless, that is cold-blooded. I like what the Lord said early on, though. He said, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. Amalek left Israel out in the wilderness to die. And he says, I'll have none of it. These are my people. If you are not with me, you are against me. And there came a day when Amalek would not repent, would not turn, would not receive, would not accept the truth. God said, enough's enough. It's time for Israel to take take care of business. And he said, I want it all handled. You know what? Whether you believe this or not, whether I accept it or not, the reality is this. God hates sin. And God will have no part in it. Whether it's my sin or your sin, God wants nothing to do with it. He wants it out of your life. He wants it out of mine. He hates sin. Amalek represented sin. And God Got rid of it. And that's what we ought to do with sin in our life. Not simply put it somewhere where we hide it or we keep it for a rainy day. 
but we have to totally annihilate it, totally get rid of it. 100%. So the battle ensues. But when it's all said and done, Saul fails to comply with God's demand. In chapter 15, verse 7 through 9, 1 Samuel 15, 7 through 9, the Bible says, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah unto the coming, until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king, and the Amalekites alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, Agag and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse. That they destroyed utterly. See, in their mind, the only thing that was vile and refuse was the stuff they destroyed. They said, well, this is, this is bad. This is an idol. And this is a problem. And this is no good. We'll get rid of that. But boy, there's all these sheep and oxen and all these wonderful things that we could, we could have or keep to ourselves. I know God told us to destroy the king and everything else with it. But, but, but come on now. Let's get practical. Let's be reasonable here. And in the end, they failed to obey God completely. So when it comes time now for the prophet to show up, he hears the bleeding of the sheep and he hears the noise of the animals and he says, whoa, 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 what's going on? God says, listen, Saul never obeyed me. He approaches Saul. Hey, Saul, did you do what God said? Oh, yeah, I did exactly what God said. Really? How's come I hear those sheep back there? Where'd you get those? Well, you know, the people. The people decided they were going to save some of the sheep alive. The people decided they were going to go ahead and, and continue to... to well, matter of fact, you know what? Even so, we're going to sacrifice to the Lord with all of that stuff. We, we did it for God. And, and he says, but didn't God tell you to... Well, I know, but those people and, and our intentions were good. and It didn't matter, though, did it? It didn't matter. He didn't obey God. He tried to get over. But God found him out. Is there anything you're trying to get over on God? I mean, that you've justified is okay? That you've told yourself it's all right because? Well, I know what the Bible says, but I'm doing it for this reason. Well, I know what the Word of God states and what God demands, but my situation is this, so I'm okay. Anything like that in your life? Because if there is, I want you to know a very important truth and never forget it. You can never get over on God. You can't do it. Come up with every excuse. Come up with every reason. Justify or even pacify your own conscience. But you're not going to get over on God. You may get over on yourself. You may get over on your family. You can't get over on God. Those are the three thoughts that I had. Three truths that I think we find from the passage. I want to share two questions with you now. I want to ask these two questions. Again, the three are simply this. You can never hide from, the, from, from God. You can never fool God. And you can never get over on God. So here are my questions. Number one, I want you to ask this question. Am I real? Am I real? Am I real? 
Not am I real, but are you? Ask yourself, am I real? Now remember, you can never hide from God. You can never hide from God. I didn't ask, and I'm not, so I'm not asking from the perspective of, are you real to your husband or wife? Are you real to your children? Are you real to your pastor? That's not what I'm asking. I'm saying, are you real? Is what we see, is what others view legit? Are you real? Are you genuine? Are you authentic? See, God knows the truth, doesn't he? God knows what happens when everyone else goes to bed, gentlemen. God knows what happens, ladies, when your husband isn't around. And what you're watching on the television or what you're doing in your, your, with your spare time. Oh, no, no, I'm, 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 God knows. God knows what you're doing on Facebook and God knows what you're doing on this social media and God knows what you're doing on the internet. Oh, you, your husband may not have a clue. Your children may not have a clue. I remember a man that I knew that was involved in pornography. No one knew about it. No one knew about it. Until one day his daughter walked in and saw it. And there he was. Found out later that both his boy and his daughter had both walked in while he was viewing pornography. Seen what he was watching. He did not realize that until too late. See, you don't hide who you really are. Be sure your sin will find you out. Whether in this life or the next, one way or the other, it will come out. The question you and I have to ask ourselves is, in relationship to God, am I real? You, you know what I'm talking about. You know when you're all by yourself and you're hammering that nail and you hit your thumb? What comes out of your mouth? Oh, I didn't ask what comes out of your mouth when we're all gathered over like we were this weekend having a demo day and where all the Christian brothers are together. I'm asking what comes out of your mouth when no one else is around. Are you real? I mean, you may be teaching Sunday school. You may be telling others about Christ. But let me ask you, what's coming out of your mouth when no one's around? That determines whether you're real and genuine. Not whether you gossip in the midst of this crowd today, but whether you gossip and when no one else knows about it. When it's just you and your family, when it's just you and your, your brothers in Christ that are close, when you're just offering prayer requests. You know those prayer requests that we speak about, but really our goal is to share news. Come on, folks. Let's think about things. Let's ask ourselves, are we really genuine? Are we real? Why is it that people in the world say things like, the church is full of hypocrites? Maybe because it is. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying, maybe the church is. We're humans. We're flesh. Can we be honest enough to admit our inconsistencies? Can we be honest enough to at least admit that we're not always what we try to claim to be? That there are times in our life, if we're not careful, we can begin to slip or go down that wrong path and we catch ourselves? Are we man and woman enough and Christ-like enough to at least say, I want to be real. I want to be genuine. I may not be perfect, but my heart is to be real. 
I'm asking you, are you real? You can't hide from God. You can't get over on Him. You can try to fool me and everyone around you, but one day at the judgment, the truth will be known. Jesus dealt dealt with some pretty 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 holy people in his day, at least outwardly. In Matthew, he addresses them. He says, "Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity." I want my profession to align with my testimony. What I am and what I do, I want to equal or be the same as who I possess, who I claim to be. If I claim to be a Christian, Christians go to God's house. I claim to be a Christian, Christians don't use their mouth to hurt people. I claim to be a Christian, I, I, I share my faith with others. I claim to be a Christian... I, I, I love this word because that's what Christians ought to do because this is their Savior and their Lord and their truth. I mean, I, am I genuine? Do I genuinely love the word? And if I do, how does that reflect itself in my life? How does it, how does it manifest itself in my life? I love the word. I just don't read it. Really? Do you love your wife? Yes. How do you show that? Well, I go provide for her. I spend my day working and providing for her. Then I come home and I tell her I love her. And then I come home and I try to do things for her around the house. Well, let me ask you, if you really love this book, what are you doing about it? Listen, we play the game all the time. We're good at it. We've learned how to be a Christian when it's convenient. I'm asking you, are you real today? Do you really love Jesus Christ? Do you really love His Word? Do you really love being a Christian even? Are you ashamed of Him even? I'm not mad at nobody. I'm asking the question because in my own life, I have to evaluate myself on a regular basis. There are times I walk out in this world and I want to keep Christ to myself. But that's not what He wants me to do. I'm supposed to be a preacher of the gospel. And of course, preachers are supposed to be sharing the gospel, right? I know, but praise the Lord, everybody else that names the name of Christ should too. I'm saying, are you real? Don't think you can fool God. You can be in a crowd, but the king's looking, he's watching, and he sees what and who you are today. Finally, second question as we close. This one will take about an hour. (laughs) Second question. Not only am I real, but number two, am I ready? Am I ready? You can't fool God, remember? You can't do it. And you can't get over on God. There is an eternity that awaits each of us. In the book of Genesis, turn there if you would please, chapter 2, verse 7. Notice what the Bible says. And I really debated on what to preach today. I... I really warred with it, and the Lord finally made it clear this would be it. But my heart is burdened today because I'm concerned that we say we believe a lot of things. 
But I'm concerned that we struggle with legitimately expressing that if we do. What I mean by that is this. If God created all things, and if you're a child of God, you believe he did. Because if you don't think God created things, then you, you do, you're not saved. I don't care what you say. You're just not saved. Because that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible that you put your faith in created all things. Jesus Christ created the world and everything in it. So if you don't believe in creation, according to the Bible, you're not a child of God, no matter how much you go to church, how much you read your Bible and pray. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying you have to trust the Jesus that God says he is, that the Bible says he is. You don't make up your own Jesus. Well, my Jesus didn't create all things, and my Jesus only hung on the cross for an hour and a half. My Jesus wasn't really dead. He just was in a lethargic state and went into the grave and got up and left. No, you either believe in the Jesus that created all things, who was God in flesh, who lived his life perfect and sinless, who died on a cross, suffering for the sins of mankind, bearing our iniquity and our sin in his own body on the tree, was buried and rose again the third day. And as a result of that resurrection and a result of the shed blood of Christ, we now have an opportunity to be received into the beloved. It's, it, that's the Jesus, the one that we read about and is explained and described in this book. Now, hold on. You say you believe in a creation. I say I believe in one. If I believe in a creation, then I have to believe in a heaven. Because the same book that teaches me about creation teaches me about heaven and an eternal home. If I believe in that heaven and an eternal home, then I have to believe in hell. Because the same book that gives me insight and understanding into heaven tells me there's a hell. Now, the whole point being is this. I am amazed today at Christianity. Because we can say we believe what the Bible says and that we're convinced that there's an eternity, but yet we live as if there's only today. My decisions about my political positions, my decision concerning my moral position, my decisions reflecting my, my family decisions is all dependent on what I think and what I believe. Wait a second. If you believe that there's a God in heaven and that he created all things and there's a heaven and a hell, you better bet your self. <laughs> you better bet. <laughs> you better bet. That the rest of it's right too. Now hold on a second. If that... See, I'm not supposed to be preaching this today probably. But obviously I am. I want to ask you something. How do you come to conclusions? What's right and wrong in your life? What is wrong and right? And how do you determine it then? Do you know... Now, I'm not even going to talk about that because this is going to hit the airways. But I'm telling you that you better be careful where you fall on these, these, these issues today. You better be careful where you fall. Because, see, it doesn't matter. It may work well for you today. And it may work well for you even to the day you close your eyes in death. But I promise you, you will stand before Jesus. That will not be a wonderful day if we have totally neglected and disregarded his word. And we are not living for today, we're living for tomorrow. That's why it's important that you are real and genuine. Because see, God is not as concerned as to where you are at today as where you'll be when He comes back. God's more concerned about where you'll be the moment you close your eyes in death than you are right now. 
You say, well, my life isn't adding up. I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I, I got to admit, I'm a little bit like those hypocrites over there in the Bible. There's parts of me that want to live for God, but then there's other parts that did gravitate to the world and the flesh. I certainly don't live like I ought to live. Okay, you've admitted that. You've come to that conclusion. Then now, deal with that. Because if Jesus comes tomorrow, you will be what you are when he comes. I don't want to be that hypocrite when he arrives I don't want to be a hypocrite when I die. I want to be right the moment I close my eyes in death or I'm taken out of this earth by Jesus Christ coming. And I'm saying today, you have an opportunity to live for tomorrow, not just today. So let's settle today who and what will be tomorrow. I'm concerned. You, You got to be real. But are you ready? Are you ready? If you're not real, there's no way you're ready. It just doesn't work that way. Notice he says in Genesis again, And the Lord God formed man, verse 7, of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a what? A living soul. Let's say that together. A living soul. You know what that means? That means you live forever and so do I. Forever you're going to live. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you live in this life. Doesn't matter who you believe in in this life. Doesn't matter who you put your faith in in this life. Somewhere, somehow, you will live forever. That's just the bottom line. You're a living soul. It doesn't end with the grave. You may take your last breath today and your body may be lifeless, but you will be living somewhere. Life doesn't end for us. For us, It doesn't even just end for the believer. Listen to me. I know the Bible says eternal death. So in that sense, there's death. But you're still cognitive. You still have uh, the ability to see, hear, and smell. You still have the, the ability to touch and feel. You have a soulish body that will extend and go continually into eternity and be tormented forever. If you're not saved. One way or the other, you're going to live forever. And let me tell you, as a believer, we're going to live with Christ forever, yes. And it doesn't matter in one regard. One way or the other, you're going to get there if you've personally and truly meant business with the Lord Jesus. However, He knows if you're real or not. And when you stand before Him, I promise you, it will not be pleasant if you've neglected Him and rejected Him through your lifetime. Or if you put Him on the back burner. If you went ahead and put the world above Jesus. That will not be a pleasant time at all. Jesus said, Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Yes, as a believer, you better be ready. But what about if you're lost today? You're sitting here today. You believe there's a God in heaven. You may even believe that the Bible's the word of God. But if I asked you point blank where you'd spend eternity, you'd say, I hope heaven. I want you to know you can know. He says, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. There is a new birth that has to take place. Even as you were born from your mother's womb, you then have to be born into the family of God. You're born into the family of your earthly family. You've got to be born into your heavenly family. We need to be ready for eternity today. Look how quickly life ends. In the news the last week or two, there has been tragedy after tragedy Horrible things taking place in our world. You honestly think that you can believe you'll be here in 10 years from now? 
You can say that without a doubt. You in your mind have this idea that I've got all the time in the world. You don't have tomorrow for sure. You, you have, the only thing you've got and the only thing I have is right this minute. And that's the danger. That's a lie the devil sells us is that somehow we got time. You don't know that. If Jesus Christ split heaven right now, would you be ready? If he came back this moment, will you be able to say and look Jesus in the face and say, In my heart of hearts, Jesus, I was the best Christian I could possibly be. I was in your house like you commanded me to be. I was on my knees like you commanded me to be. I was in your word like you commanded me to be. I was a witness like you commanded me to be. You say, nobody could do that. Yeah, but we're not talking about everybody else. We're talking about you. See, God isn't going to care what I did or what I didn't do. He's going to care what you did and you didn't do. God's more worried about you than he is me right now. You say, that's not true. Yeah, but from me to you, he's more worried about me. But if you're looking at me, he's more worried about you. Everybody likes to look to their neighbor, but I'm going to tell you something. There's no neighbors in heaven. You'll stand by yourself in front of a God who's holy and perfect. And who wrote this book and left it for us. And if you're lost today and there's never been a time and a place when you've accepted the Lord and what He did as payment for your sin, then I want you to know that you have to do that. It's not about what you can do. You say, but I'm trying to be a good person. I'm living my life the best I know how. It's not enough. It's not enough. You'll never be ready for eternity till you permit Christ to pay for your sin. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. You know what I used to hear a lot 15, well, 18 years ago, 15, 18 years ago after when the church got started? I'd visit people and they'd say, oh, you guys, oh, you, you guys are the ones that believe the only, that you're, you're the only way to get to heaven. You believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. I'd hear stuff like that from people. I don't hear that anymore. You want to know why? Because nobody's telling people how to get to heaven. Do you know that if you honestly believe what the Bible says, you'll be considered closed-minded? Do you know what? We're more concerned about being identified or labeled as being closed-minded than we are about being obedient and biblical. I mean, let's just be honest. I'd rather the world accept me than to somehow stand alone. Guess what? Sometimes as a believer, you've got to stand alone. Because when the Bible speaks and God speaks, then we've got to take His side. doesn't matter what we think. Doesn't matter how we feel. What's right is right. My family think I was a nut if I went to church three times a week. My family think I was crazy if I told them I read my Bible through every year. My family think I was a lunatic if they knew I went out soul winning and tried to win people to Jesus Christ at a, co- at a door. So, how does that make Jesus feel though? Because he's the one you're going to have to stand before, remember? How does that make him feel at the end? I'm just saying, when do we finally decide that what matters is what God thinks, says, and what He wants? Instead of what everybody else in the world wants for us. I'm deviating from the message a lot today, but I'm going to tell you something. You know what being a man is? Doing what's right when nobody else will stand with you. You know what we need in Christianity? Some men today. Some men in their homes that will say, I'm going to church, I'm taking these kids, I don't care if you stay home or not. You watch what you want, but being the kids are going, I'm in charge of these kids and I'll answer for these kids. They're coming to church with me. You stay home if you want, but I'm going to God's house. 
And I'm reading my Bible and I'm going to talk to my children about the Lord. And I'm going to go ahead and stand for Jesus Christ. I don't care what people think. And I don't care really what anybody else thinks. I'm a man. And God will hold me accountable for what goes on. You use some wisdom when you do that. And don't blow up the whole house overnight. But I'm going to tell you something. In the end, I need and God needs some men today. That will say, this book and God matters more to me than anything else in this world. We try to hold on to everything in the end, and in the end, you know what it ha- happens? We lose it anyway. I've got to answer to God one day. And you know what? Watch this verse in 1 Peter. You don't get saved any other way but through the blood of Christ. I don't care what you think. I'm not trying to be mean. Let's let God speak. Here's what he says. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed, that means bought back, purchased, with corruptible things as silver and gold, no amount of money, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers has nothing to do with your upbringing or your traditions or your religious background. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Did you see it? The only way you and I ever have our sin forgiven, the only way we're ever redeemed or bought out of the, back out of the clutches of Satan, out of this slavery of sin, is by the precious blood of Christ. No other name under heaven Given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only name. It's not Allah. It's not Buddha. It's not Brahma. It is Jesus Christ, my friend. It's not even just God the Father. It is Jesus Christ. Romans 4, 5 says, But to him that worketh not, But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. You can't work hard enough to get to heaven. To earn God's favor. Just stop working at it. And just start trusting and believing in the Lord. Rest in him. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. The way is simple. But it's very specific. It is. You closed minded preacher? I'm as closed minded as the Bible. I'm as closed-minded as God is. I'm going to stand where God stands. If that's considered closed-minded to the world, then I guess that's exactly what I am. What I am is a Bible-believing Christian. I believe exactly what God says about how to get to heaven. And you know what? I may not always agree, nor may I feel comfortable admitting it, but I have to say this. I ought to believe everything and support everything that God says morally. That's just the way it is. I may be uncomfortable to take a stand, but I ought to do it. And what he says is right, whether I believe it or not. It doesn't matter how many of my family are living in sin. It doesn't matter how many people are going off the deep end. God's word is still right, my friend. And that's where we're failing today. We're having a hard time justifying this whole thing. So many people are doing it today. I guess there's no way we can stop it. We might as well not fight it. I'm not saying fight it. I'm just saying stand. I'm just saying take God's position on issues. That's all I'm saying. Just don't let people think that you agree with them when they tell you that this is what's right and you know that God says it's wrong. Just stand up and say it's wrong. Be, be honest with people. Don't be, don't be a hypocrite. We always use hypocrite the other way. You know, you're supposed to be a Christian, but then you live like the devil. But what about when you actually are a Christian and you try to act like, you're trying, you, well, I'm really not that concerned about that, but you really are down deep. See, you're a hypocrite the other way. 
You're not being honest there either. Just be honest. Take God's position. I, I don't know. I, I got off course a little bit because I'm really burdened about some things. I'm burdened that today as a people, we really are not letting God dictate and determine what we truly believe and how we stand and where we fall in issues. We need to be real today. You better be real. If you are the worst sinner in the world, at least be honest about it. Be real. I can, I can appreciate that. Don't try to pretend you're something you're not today. Stop pretending and be honest with God and be honest with yourself. Because in the end, people will know. We see it. You can't help but see that stuff. Be real. You better be ready. Because if he comes back today, every last one of us will wish to God we'd spend a little more time in this. Every one of us will. Every one of us will wish that we devoted ourselves just a little bit more to things that will matter in eternity instead of just what matter today. Let's be ready. Let's do our best, filled with the Spirit. And if you're lost today without Christ, I want you to know God died on Calvary for you. Jesus Christ is God, and He died for you. Paid for your sin. How could you reject that? That love. How can you reject that kind of love? Your mama comes over to give you a hug and you push her away and say, get away from me. I've watched men do that. I've watched ladies do that. How can we do that to a God that loves us so much that died, literally gave his life for us? Today, won't you accept him? Won't you say, Lord, I'm that sinner you died for. I know it's only your blood that can wash my sin away and save me. I asked you to forgive my sin and take me to heaven. I need you. I can't do it without you, Lord. I need your mercy. Father, we come to you. We ask, dear God, that you'd just help us today. And Lord, in this room, I believe there's a number of people that want to please you with their life. I think, Lord, in my own life, I know how I struggle sometimes to stand where I ought to stand, to do what I ought to do. Help me to be real. Lord, you're the king, and you're looking down. And Lord, you, you do see me for who and what I am. Lord, I can wear a suit on Sunday morning all I want. But Lord... That doesn't mean that's who and what I am. Help me and these today to be genuine, authentic, to be real. And then, Lord, may we be ready. There might be some in the room today that are lost without Jesus Christ, that don't know for sure if they died, they'd go to heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you, would you let me pray for you? I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven, preacher. That's me. I don't have that settled. I can't honestly say that I'm ready if Jesus Christ either came back or if, if I took my last breath. I can't say that I'd open my eyes in heaven. Please pray for me. Preacher, that's me. With an uplifted hand, let me pray for you. No one else looking, just me. No one else looking, just me. An uplifted hand. I don't have that settled. I don't know that for sure. Anybody like that? Anybody like that? All right? You're a child of God. Are you ready? If he comes back today, how's your prayer life? How's your Bible reading? How's your church attendance? I mean, how, how's your attitude towards your husband, your wife? How's your attitude towards your children? How's your tongue when no one's around? What are you watching? What are you listening to when nobody knows? I mean, let's just be real today. And let's be ready. Father, we thank you now for this time. Bless this time of invitation. May you be glorified in it. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.